Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect gift or addition to a small gathering. The Home Bar makes over 30 drinks from cosmopolitans to old fashions at the push of a button. Just insert the pod, press start, and enjoy. Each Drinkworks pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. For a limited time, get $50 off the Home Bar with promo code PLAY. Go to drinkworks.com to order now. Drinkworks, press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc., used under license. Please enjoy responsibly. I still think something's going to happen and I'm fooling everybody. Like, to this day, I'm like, how did I get, like, these crazy jobs? Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. You know me, I'm Perry Nemroff, but look who I'm sitting with this time. I've got Anna Camp here, and... Usually I say the one project that the person is promoting at the very beginning of it, but I feel like we'll never get to like the content of the conversation. If I rattle off everything right now, you're so busy. Oh my gosh. That's so nice of you. Well, I feel like I am not busy at all. So it's nice to see that the projects that I shot over the last year are finally coming out and people are finally going to get a chance to see them. I'm very excited. I mean, really you've got three feature films coming out right now. That's that's like a huge deal. It's pretty wild. Um, and they're all so different, which is also so exciting. Um, and, and I know that everyone's taking advantage of the streaming platform and situation mm-hmm. that's going on right now because Lovebirds was going to be released in movie theaters, obviously, and that's not happening. Here a while was going to be limited release in a couple theaters, and Desperados was going to be just to Netflix. So it's all streaming all the time. I'm hopeful that people will watch, um, and I'm very proud of each and every one in a different way. Everyone's got to adapt and you guys are doing just that. And I really do have a lot of confidence that given the current situation, releasing it that way is going to get maximum eyeballs on all three projects. Yeah. So 
I gave you the heads up. We're going back to the very beginning to start here. Okay. When when you were a kid, before you even got into the industry, what were you watching for fun? Like, what were what were the things that shaped your taste in entertainment? Oh wow, that's a really fantastic question. Um, I, my sister is seven years older than me, and she is also an actress. Um, and now she teaches theater to kids. And I kind of grew up watching what she watched, which was actually like really old, classic, beautiful, Vivian Lee movies. Um, like Gone with the Wind was a huge one. I'm from the South. And then I kind of fell in love with her as an actress and watched, you know, every movie over the course of her career. And we would watch like Street Name Desire together. And I remember being like a little kid And just going, wow, these movie stars are so glamorous and these stories are so beautifully written. And I think that those are the main things that shaped um, who I am as an actor today. I mean, I was also watching, you know, like Care Bears and stuff like that. But I don't think that that actually, you know, helped me. I mean, maybe some comedies in there. I don't know. Maybe there was like a a good balance going on. Um, But definitely like old classic films were something that I remember watching as a little kid and and just soaking it all in like a sponge. I feel like uh, that was that was a very tasteful sampling of what you're watching. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting over here watching, I don't know, like, like Nickelodeon shows. And I was obsessed. I didn't have Nickelodeon. I was really upset that my parents let us have Nickelodeon. I know. So Maybe in a way, and I wasn't even allowed to watch The Simpsons, so I was like finding things to watch as a kid that were like not like what any other of my friends were watching. Maybe that was why I was so uncool growing up, but maybe it helps me as an actor. I don't know. I feel like whatever you thought was uncool of yourself as a kid winds up being one of the coolest things when you get older, no matter what it is. Yes, and I wish someone would have told me that. (laughs) I I think we're all in the same boat in that respect. Yeah, you remember the single performance, the movie, the show, or your personal experience that made you say, like, I got to go to Hollywood. I got to be in that industry. Oh, wow. Um, Well, I've been acting since I was in second grade. It's something that I've always, always wanted to do. Um, I remember reading a poem to our class and having to get up, and I don't remember exactly what the poem was, but I remember feeling really emotionally connected to this poem. And I remember looking up, and I was crying, and then my teacher was crying, and I was like, what? What just happened? Like, I felt like I, I went beyond reciting this. I felt like I had made connections with the people in the room for the first time. And it felt like, you know, the kind of the world kind of went a little blurry and everything became elevated in some way. And just even as a kid, I felt that. And I think from that point on, I always wanted to connect with people. And that's my way of doing it. I think that, that I kept fighting for that same feeling. And I still keep fighting for that in every project that I have, whether it's theater or film just that moment when you you lose yourself a little bit and you really connect and you can feel that energy between two people or between you and the audience. So I think that time that I, I read that poem to my second grade class, something kind of cracked inside of me and I knew I wanted to be an actor from that day forward. When you're on stage, there's an opportunity to connect to a live audience in a mm-hmm. very special way. Is yeah. there anything you can do while you're on a film or TV set to kind of ensure you have that same connectivity with your viewership, but while you're not live. Sometimes you can get people on set to laugh, or you can get the other actor that you're working with that may not be on camera to crack a little bit. And I know from working on Perfect Harmony, 
Um, we all as a cast try to do that to one another and get everyone just to see if we can get them to break just a little bit and get that little twinkle in their eye. And I think that's kind of the only thing that you can do comedy-wise for a drama in film for what I've found is sort of taking your own time and your own space and treating the camera itself. Like, you, obviously, you're not looking into it, but if, if it's, you know, directly behind the person that you're acting with, there's this kind of energy that you can feel from the cinematographer and from the director who's behind the monitor and, like, maybe another room. But you develop this kind of energy with the, the camera and the cameraman that you're working with. And you can feel the room change. Like, I've tried to develop, like, a sense of of taking time and not feeling rushed internally and breathing with the camera crew. I think that's kind of a way to have a connection um, because it's such a collaborative art form anyway. And if you feel like you're acting alone or by yourself, I think you're missing the point and you're missing, you know, an incredible experience that you can have in the moment. Um, and not try to be result-oriented, but have it really be a living, breathing experience that you're sharing with every single person in the room. And I think that that's something that really drives me to be an actor. There's something magical about that, for sure, that you don't, you don't always get, but it's something to strive for every time you know, you're in front of the camera. That's such an interesting perspective because I feel like the cliche version from like a non-actor's perspective is that you want like the room to melt away. Yeah, yeah. You have to everybody working on the project with you seems very important. I think that's like I learned that in, in acting class when I went to school is that you can't really fight against what's happening. And so if you decide to just accept everything that's happening in the room and accept the fact that maybe that light fell down or accept the fact that your other actor may not be giving you, you know, everything that you want to be getting from them and not try to fight anything, but allow everything that's in the room to enter your sphere. I think that that's, that's a way that you can get to a place that, you know, it's, it's like breathing. And I think that's what acting is. It's a lot about breathing. So going back to what you just said about maybe having a co-star who's not giving you everything you need, what techniques mm-hmm. can you use to make sure you're still nailing your work in that kind of situation? <laughs> uh, that's a, hard to do. It's easier said than done. You kind of have to check your ego um, at the door and not try to get your temperature raised and know that really what is what matters is what they're getting, you know, on the camera. So if you allow the other person to piss you off in some way, they're going to see that in your eyes and it's not going to be maybe what the scene is called for. So you just... You just have to say, well, this person is a selfish actor. It has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with them. They're probably afraid of failure. That's why they're not committing, and that's why they're giving you attitude. And you just realize that it's more about them and less about you, and just own your personal space and and, and do the best that you can and, and trust your work. Just trust your work, because I do a lot of work before I get to a set um, on projects. So if I know that I've inlaid that, what do I want from this person? How does my character go about getting it? If that's there, I can trust in that and not rely totally on the other actor, especially if they are 
being a terrible scene partner, which has happened in life. Oh, I can imagine. There's something about that <laughs> that advice that I feel like you can bottle up and like hand to anybody in any field just to like keep it composed yeah. when someone's giving you a problem. Just know that it's not about you. That people are more concerned with themselves like 99% of the time. So yeah. if you can like know that and own that, then be like, I'll never hopefully have to see you again. Or if I do, then maybe we will have to sit down and have a conversation. <laughs> That's you the know, next which, step, of course. You know, which is not my favorite thing. I'm not a huge <laughs> confrontation type of gal, so. Well, yeah, I do not like that in my life at all. I, I feel like uh, it's the kind of thing where, like, when you go to a restaurant and you order, like, the fish and they bring you the chicken, I'm like, no, oh, like, the chicken's fine. It's I know. I know. Like, I don't want it. But, like, it's really, like, it's really tasty. And inside, you're like, dang, I wanted that chicken so bad. Yeah, I definitely learned to speak up more. I mean, as a young actor, I used to say yes to everything and just be like, I am, I'm just like, we're not even worthy to be here, um, you know, but now I've decided to like stand up for myself a bit more. And it's definitely helpful when I leave a set, I don't leave going, man, I wish I had just done this, or I wish I had changed that line. I felt awful saying that, or that actor was so mean to me. Why did I say yes to that? Um, the older I've gotten, the more I've decided to hold my own and speak up for myself, which has been very empowering. What is something when you were first starting out that you thought was a silly question to ask about the way a production works that you wish you had the nerve to ask? Oh, my gosh. This is funny. I when you're doing sound and you're you're um, doing people's coverage and it's not a, a shot where two two actors like a two shot. Um, I always, because I came from theater, was used to like interrupting and overlapping. And then I would have the director be like, don't, don't do that. Like hold for him to talk. And then we need to get this clean. And I was always like, we need to get this clean. What does that mean? You know what I mean? I didn't know what they were saying was sound that you, you couldn't step on each other's lines because it would be messed up in the audio. So I wish someone had just pulled me aside to be like, when it's my coverage, don't step on my line. And then I'd be, Oh, I totally get it. But then because no one did that, I felt so awkward. And then the rest of the takes, I'm sure were me just looking nervous. I mean, like, can I talk now? You know what I mean? And that's like the worst thing because <laughs> you want to feel free when you're acting, obviously. Um, so yeah, that was something that always made me feel really dumb. It's an important thing. I, it's like the little things like that that nobody thinks about though. Yes. And camera left and camera right. Can you look a little camera left? Can you look a little camera left? Right. I'm always like, what is that still to this day? I'm like, what is camera left and camera right? Somebody please tell me. At the beginning, it's like a foreign language too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And like everybody's like all the the grips are saying things and the thing coming in your face. I mean, there's so many distractions on a set that like finally now I can work around. But at the time it was like, I felt like I couldn't breathe or move. Also, after I got my hair and makeup done, I remember oh. the first couple shows that I did, they would do me up. And then, of course, you're waiting for hours and hours and hours until you get on a set. So I would be in my trailer, like, <laughs> afraid to mess myself up. And now I, like, lay down. I take naps. I, I like, go to Crafty. Like, I know that there's going to be so much time before I actually act. Um, but before, I was very worried about messing up my hair and makeup. I can understand that. I feel like anytime I go out of my way to get my hair done, it's like just walking with like my head only straight forward for like yes. at least an hour before I start to actually enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. The wind, you're like, don't, I don't even know what's going to happen. Yeah. But now I know that that's why they have touch-ups and they just review yep. you anyway. So it's fine. 
that's what they're there for. <laughs> yeah. So going through some of your filmography and stage work, someone had mentioned this to me recently too. I wish IMDb would combine film television and stage. Cause I know. I feel like it mean. always appears like someone's not doing as much when they're right. off doing a show. Yeah, no, it's a, I think that there is, there is an IMDb, but it's not IMDb for theater. What is it called? It's I, called? I, I feel like it might even be something as simple, like, like I am a internet movie database, like internet Broadway database. Internet, or IMBD. Broadway? Uh, yes, I think that you're right. Yeah. And I wish that they would like join the two because okay. I actually never thought I would be in LA working into your film. I thought my whole career would be theater. In New York. I mean, I really was like, I'm going to be broke, but I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be really tired and I'm going to do theater for my whole life because I love it so, so much. Um, so I, I'm, I was just as shocked to, you know, audition for my first pilot season right out of college and, Mm -hmm. and luckily book a pilot, which was great. And then I met Alan Ball in an audition for True Blood and, past Anna Paquin in the hallway. I remember they're like, you're testing for Suki. You're testing for Suki. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And they're like, you're testing against one other girl. And I was like, oh my gosh, who's this going to be? And I was straight out of college with like no credits. And then in the hallway, Anna Paquin and I passed each other. And I was like, oh, well, she's going to get it. It's an Oscar. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Um, But it was so nice to have that audition go well and then have Alan Ball offer me the part of Sarah Newland for the second season. So that was pretty cool that that worked out that way. Hello, honey. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming to save me. (laughs) Oh, that's good. You're funny as a vampire. You know, you were never funny as a human being. We had some good times. Really? Because I don't remember it that way. Was there like a period of, of, you know, disappointment that you didn't get the role of Sookie and then all of a sudden it was a surprise that he gave you Sarah for season two? Yes, that's exactly what happened. And so funnily enough, my best friend um, from high school was living in L.A. at the time and I was in New York and she was a stand in. She was Anna Paquin's stand in on True Blood. And she calls me up and she goes, Anna. There's this show that's so right for you and this character that Anna Paquin is playing, you would have been so... And I was like, don't even talk to me. I tested against her for that role and I was so sad. Um, I luckily booked a pilot that didn't get picked up to series that same season. Um, But then flash forward, first season is over. It's a huge hit. And then my agent calls me and he was like, I have a little bit of a surprise for you. Um, Alan Ball called and he really wants you to come be a part of the series in a different role, but something that he thinks that you could totally kill. Um, and he wants to talk to you on the phone. So I was freaking out, jumping up and down, talked to Alan Ball on the phone and realized that like, like things happen for a reason. You know, I, I got to do Equus. Uh, on Broadway opposite Daniel Radcliffe, and I wouldn't have been able to do that had I been cast as Sookie. So I started to realize that there are certain things that happen um, the way they're supposed to, and and not to beat yourself up too much, because that was never my role to begin with. That was always hers. And one thing led to another, and then I got to, to act with her. And so it was really great. I love looking at it that way. And bringing up Equus, I, I mean, what was it like jumping into that with Daniel Radcliffe? Because at this point in time, like he's not boxed into the Harry Potter film franchise anymore. We've seen what he's capable of and how much range yes. he has. But at that point in time, 
the series wasn't even over. So did you have any like preconceived notions about him that he immediately proved wrong? Well, funnily enough, I'd never seen a Harry Potter movie. Wait, still to this day, you've never seen a Harry Potter movie. I've seen the first one. Okay. And I liked it. But there was some reason why I didn't keep going is because I knew Dan. Like I knew Dan as Dan, right? So I didn't really want to continue seeing him as Harry Potter, even though I loved the first movie. It was just really cool to go into rehearsal and just know him as Harry Potter, but not have developed kind of this relationship that a lot of girls my age had, you know, with him. I mean, people all over the world had developed this relationship Mm -hmm. with him as Harry Potter. I definitely was nervous to jump into a show that had been in London on the West End um, previously, and I was, you know, one of the few Americans that were cast, and I was definitely freaked out about my accent, like, if they were going to think it's good, you know, I'm from South Carolina, can I do this? Um, and I remember getting a compliment from Dan and Richard Griffiths being like, your accent is, like, on point, so I was very happy about that. Or did accents just come naturally to you? Because one of my favorite things that I saw on Twitter in response to the Lovebirds was how many people were just so excited about your accent. <laughs> I know. I get dozens of those. I, I think I just, I'm not afraid of them. You know, if you're not afraid to really commit to them. And there, there is that Southern accent that like, I mean, my parents still talk like this. You know what I mean? Like they live in South Carolina. They talk like this. All my friends do. So that's something that I love doing. I love playing a Southern accent and playing a Southern woman. So to see people like respond to that, respond to it well, and if I can make them laugh, you know, I think that I'm I'm doing a good job. So I I'm not afraid of trying an accent. I'm sure I'm not great at all of them, but I'm definitely not afraid to see what I can do. You're probably great at a lot more of them than most, because I can't do <laughs> a single one there. Um, speaking of all of your TV opportunities, you've also been able to guest star on, I mean, there's shows on your resume that are going to go down as some of the best television shows of all time. So True Blood aside, what are some of the, the guest appearances that have, I don't know, maybe intimidated you the most, given the fact that those shows were so huge at the time? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a huge fan of Mad Men. Huge. It was my favorite show, hands down. Um, and then I get a call from my agent that I have an audition. And I freaked out because I was like, this is my moment. Like, I have to land this. If I don't land this, I'm going to be forever regretful that I could have done something better. And I did my hair and makeup all in the 1960s. I wore a dress that was my mother's from the 60s. Um, And I go into the hallway and it's for Matthew Weiner. It's just for him. And then there's a reader and all these girls are lined up and they all look beautiful and they all have their hair done. And everybody's like, the typical audition, you know, in Hollywood, downtown at LA center studios. And I get called in and I have a question because the sides are, I'm on a date with someone, but it doesn't say who it says like, I forget like Dan or or something like that. And and I go into the room, Matthew, and I'm like, so nice to meet you. I'm such a fan of the show. Like so happy, you know, my heart is jumping out of my chest and sweating. And then I go, I just have a question before I do the scene. Um, just in context of the show, who is Dan? And he goes, doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Just do the scene. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, already, I'm like I've pissed off Matthew Weiner. He never wants to work with me, whatever. 
Um, so I'm like, okay, yes, sir. You know, I do the scene. He gives me some notes. I don't remember where they were. I do it again. And then he's like, thank you. That'll be all. And I'm like, I didn't get it. You know, I felt in my I walk out, I throw my sides in the trash. That's how I felt. I get in my little VW bug. I like take my heels off. I'd like, I'm like, well, that was my one brush with Mad Men. You know what I mean? Like so close. Um, two days later, I get a phone call saying that I booked it and I freak out. I'm like telling everybody that I'm going to be on Mad Men. I'm like, this is amazing. Then I get my script and I'm going through the script and I say, wait, my character's not on a date with Dan. She's on a date with Don. Don, Don. <gasps> I go, wait a minute. My character is dating Don Draper. I'm his first date after his divorce. I flipped out and then I had to sign like whatever the forms are to not tell anyone. All I wanted to do was tell everybody that I was going to be dating Don Draper. Um, so it was really a dream come true. And then I, you know, walked into the read through and January Jones is there, John Hamm, Christina Hendricks. And I just felt like, wow, this is, you never know where you're going to be. You never, ever, ever know. And I just felt so excited. And then to be on set with him, you know, in full 1960s wardrobe and we're in an old cab and they're like shaking the cab to make it seem like we're driving. Um, and I'm like looking and there's Don Draper. I mean, it was truly, I think, one of the most magical moments that I've ever had as an actress in Hollywood, for sure. So you get to go on a date with Don Draper. And then on top of that, you also got to attend one of the biggest weddings ever. Yes, I did. The office. I have I have a couple questions about that. First yeah. off, just generally, what was it like doing the big dance number? It was probably one of the most fun times I've ever had. And the little girl, the flower girl that I walked down was one of the producer's daughters. So he was like very excited to see her in, in the TV show. I mean, it was wild. It was like Jim and Pam, you know, like this was like the wedding of the century. We were all so excited. And here I am like as a, a bridesmaid, like with this crew and there's Michael Scott. And like, I mean, it was really another kind of pinch me moment where all of these amazing characters were there. And like now I was somehow in the world. Like I still think something's going to happen and I'm fooling everybody. Like to this day, I'm like, how did I get like these crazy jobs? Um, it was the most, most, most fun. And we shot that out in, um, I think Sherman Oak somewhere at like a really cool church. And like, everybody was like in the lawn. Like it was, we spent like a week shooting that whole wedding and it was so fun. How close did you guys really come to shooting that alternate version that we've heard about in, in the oral history with the horse? Oh, my God. I wasn't privy to that. I was like a very small. I was, you know, Pam's sister. And like, I, I was not privy to really any of that stuff. But I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think that would have been amazing also. <laughs> I the way that they they ended that episode, I feel like they took the right path with that. I think they did. I think they did. I thought it was like an incredible, like the Niagara Fall. I mean, it was so wonderful. The whole thing came together very, very well. Before we move into some of the newer projects, I did really want to ask you about Pitch Perfect because I'm a huge fan of that franchise. But one of my favorite aspects of it is that 
I feel like if anyone on social media follows just one of you, they follow all of you because <laughs> what we see on screen fe- feels very real to life. So yes. do you think that that franchise required like a genuine connection off camera in order to give us the three films that we got? A hundred percent. I mean, there's no way around it. You know, you can't fake chemistry like that. You can't fake um, having fun like that and poking at each other and being a real core group of girlfriends. I mean, we were so young when we shot that movie, all of us, when we were rehearsing it, it felt like we were back in college again and we were all sort of staying in the same hotel and, and kind of having parties on the weekend. And then like we were in Baton Rouge and we were going to new Orleans and we were all, it was a lot of our first big, big movies, you know, not everybody like Anna Kendrick or, or Brittany. Um, but we were all like learning at the same time also, and just having a blast, you know, and to be able to do a trilogy, that's the only trilogy that I've obviously gotten to do, but you spend a lot of time with these people promoting the movie and flying places that if you don't get along, it's really a different kind of experience and it can be hell on earth. So you, I've also been through them like with personal relationship things, you know, um, birthdays, weddings, divorces. I mean, it's like a whole gamut. We've been together for, you know, eight years and a lot happens in that time in your thirties. And I think that I really have friends for life. So um, I think what you see is is really is a real thing between all of us like i love those girls forever you feel it and for that reason i don't think i will ever stop wanting yet another installment (laughs) i know we want to do one we all would be like come on we like want to do it till we're you know old and we're like acting in like a retirement home (laughs) i feel like what but seriously that i'm almost like thinking about taking a richard linklater approach to it now where we just like Every, I don't know, every five, 10 years, you guys have to reunite and do something similar to different oh in your life. Oh my God. I would love, love, love. I would want to see like what's happening. Like who, like does Fat Amy have kids? You know what I mean? Now, like what's the Fat Amy and Bumper like have a thing or have a family? I mean, how cool would that be? Like in about, you know, five years to see what happened to all of these characters that you know and love. And I'm sure that like they can put us into some wild, crazy situations. And the fans though, the fans have been so supportive mm-hmm. and they really have grown up with us and, and with the movie and they've followed all of our careers, I think, which has been so lovely. Um, I, I don't think we knew it was going to be as big of a hit as it was, but my God, those fans are just the best. I, I, I'm so happy and thankful that we still have a group of people who want to say Aka awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hear that all the time. What is the project that people bring up to you most often when they like pass you on the street? It's definitely Aka amazing. Joining our acapella group. Oh, right. This is like a thing now. Oh, totes. We sing covers of songs, but we do it without any instruments. It's all from our mouths. Sorry, it just, it's pretty lame. Ah, excuse me? Synchronized lady dancing to a Mariah Carey chart topper is not lame. (laughs) On to lovebirds now. I'm curious, how does your process change when you are picking a supporting role like that? Like what happens when you know you only get so much screen time, but you need to make sure you're taking a role that you could still make a mark on the movie with a couple of scenes? Um, well, that movie, I was already working with Michael Showalter producing a TV show that we just went out last week to pitch, um, to sell. So my fingers are crossed for that. Um, we were working together and he offered me that part and kind of wrote that part for me because that role was actually originally written to be a man. 
and he decided that he wanted to put a twist on it and write it for a woman. So he sent that to me and was like, we'd love to have you in the movie. Um, and then I read it and I was like, oh my God, I'm torturing someone with like bacon grease and like a horse. Like, what is this? This is insane. <laughs> like, I love Kumail and Issa Rae and I love you, Michael, but like, what's going on? And he was like, listen, if anybody can do this, you can do this. Don't be scared. We're going to have fun. It's going to be wild and crazy. Um, so I was like, okay, I trust you. This is nuts. I just love the smell of sizzling bacon. Don't you? And you're first, Mr. Bing Bong. Edie, may I ask a question? Do I get to know prior to making my decision where you'll be pouring the grease? Um, yeah, it'll probably most definitely be your face. Who was your go-to person on that set when you wanted to know if a laugh was landing? Are you looking at Michael? Are you looking at Issa and Kumail? Who is it there? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, definitely um, Issa and Kumail were right there and you can tell when you would get them, like they would get like a little twinkle in their eye, like going back to trying to crack people up, just being like, I'm going for it right now. And I'm going to like be the craziest Southern woman that you've ever seen. And I would get Kumail. I would get Kumail a couple times. You'd notice a little <laughs> twinkle and he is always so loose and fun. They both are like, don't mind kind of like cracking a little bit and, and giggling, especially at that hour of the night. Like you can't really hold it back sometimes. So I would definitely be checking in with them for sure. And then Michael would be, you know, around the corner behind the monitor being like, do it more, go crazier. You can't fail. You know what I mean? I'd be like, okay, I'm going. This is wild. I trust you. What's the biggest take that you might've done in that scene that they didn't use? Like how, how big can you really go in a moment like that? Um, Wow. I mean, I think, I think like there were times where I was yelling at Brett, my husband to like, go get me my damn pan. You know what I mean? I think that there was a time where Michael just wanted me to like scream that, which I'm actually glad that they did not use. I think he used like the right level of take, but I think that I screamed at some point, like, go get me your goddamn, my goddamn pan. Like it was crazy. And I was like, please don't use that. <laughs> I just want to know what the person next door was thinking about all of that. Luckily, it's just a soundstage. Okay, good. Hear anything, so that's good. <laughs> so, going back to something we were talking about earlier, so you have Lovebirds on Netflix. Is there anything about the response to a movie hitting a streaming service that makes you really excited for one of your next movies to then drop on Netflix, Desperados? Um, yeah, no, I'm definitely really excited. Hopefully, you know, we went to number one, which is so cool. Lovebirds did. We're very excited about that. Um, Desperados, I just saw a screener of that a couple weeks ago for the first time. And that was a wild movie to shoot. I mean, we shot that half in Mexico City, half in Cabo San Lucas um, with a really wacky, wild script. Like crazy things happened in that movie also. And that really came together um, incredibly well, too. So I'm hopeful that if people, you know, liked me in Lovebirds, I definitely have like a way bigger role in Desperados and a different role. You know, she's not Southern. She's definitely not that crazy. Um, I'm, I'm a little more like, I would say Aubrey from Pitch Perfect, but grown up um, with a kid. 
Um, but definitely, you know, Brooke is an alcoholic. <laughs> she can't wait to keep drinking all the time. She's really stressed out, and that's how she deals with Nassim's character in the movie. And it's just like a fun, wacky girls trip wild ride that I think that people would love to be entertained by right now, um, especially at a time where you can't go on a trip mm-hmm. and we this can't travel like- and we can't go anywhere. Luckily, you can, you know, watch Desperados and Netflix and feel like you're on this wild adventure with these crazy girls in Mexico. This sounds like exactly what I need right now. And only because anytime I think of Cabo, I went on my first trip to Cabo last year and we went to, mm-hmm. did you ever visit that? I think it's called Wild Canyon Park with the zip lining and, and bungee jumping. I didn't. I wish. I've never, I've never, but I've always wanted to go there. It looks so fun. Would you do it if you had the opportunity? Would you go bungee jumping? Oh, bungee jumping? No. Oh, okay. The zip lines <laughs> okay, though. No. Zip lines? Yes. I would actually, this is crazy, I would actually rather jump out of a plane than bungee jump. It No, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just would rather feel like I'm flying through the air and, like, do that instead of, like, feel like there's a rope that could snap at any moment and the ground is right there. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. That's very fair. It's a smart yeah. choice because when you go skydiving, you're attached to a professional. So they yes. kind of walk you out of the plane, whereas bungee jumping, it's all on you to, like, curl yourself off that platform. You couldn't pay me. You could not pay me money. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever get the itch, I would recommend it. It's fun. Okay. Fun. I believe you. I would rather zipline, but understand. Okay. Perfect harmony. I know that we were waiting until about now to hear an update on that. Is there any kind of forecast that you're aware of? I mean, what's what's going on here? Oh my gosh, there's nothing. NBC is like really holding on right now to all they're like the last people to pick up anything. And we we're on a group text, the entire cast. And it's probably one of my favorite casts that I've ever gotten to work with. I love them so much. We know nothing. We know absolutely nothing. Um, and uh, it's really frustrating. I think by June 30th, I think is the last day that they have to let us know. Okay. So my fingers are crossed. You've got a lot of people out there rooting for you on that one. The other one that I wanted to bring back here is Good Girls Revolt. Because yes. I know that one didn't come to the to a close in the best possible way. But now that we've kind of been removed from it for a certain period of time, is there anything that looking back, you could think of that cancellation and then, I don't know, put a positive spin on something that you learned from that experience and how it all went down that you could then try to apply to new shows that you're working on? Um, my God, it was such a pivotal, a pivotal time. It was right before the election It was right before all of the Me Too movement, and it felt like such a good time to be making a show like that, you know, where women were coming together um, and we and we were focusing on sexual harassment and, and getting, you know, equal opportunities. And it was just such an inspiring time to go to set to work on something like that. And then it all went down in this really frustrating way, to be honest. But if the, if the one thing that I've um, gotten positive from that is that I still get asked about it from women everywhere and men too. I think like a, when restaurants were a thing, you know, the last waitress that I had would be like, man, I really loved you in Good Girls Revolt. That show will always stick with me. Um, if, if that inspires people still to this day and inspires women still 
to stand up for themselves and to keep fighting the good fight. I think that that's the hope and the beauty that came from that show. And it's kind of a timeless project, to be honest. I feel like you can always go back and you can always watch that show and get something from it. And if it inspires you to keep fighting, I think that that's a good thing. I like looking at it that way. I do want to get to one of your next projects that I'm very, very eager to see here a while, because Mm -hmm. I feel like most of our conversation, a lot of it at least, has been about your comedic work. And Mm -hmm. this, I watched the trailer, and it it looks very, very intense to me, and I'm sure there's some levity in it, but... What makes you want to commit to having yourself in that kind of headspace for the amount of time it takes to shoot a feature film? Uh, Really great question. I uh, was so happy to see that the producers and the director, Tim True, wanted me for this role because I don't actually really get offered things like this ever. People want to see me play that type A, you know, bubbly blonde role that I'm, I'm used to playing. Um, And so I was so over the moon to go, wow, this is something like I've never gotten to do. And you guys see something in me uh, and you trust me with this type of role. And it was so challenging that I was definitely scared, you know, if I could even do it. But when something like that happens and, and comes my way, I have to jump at the chance to be like, let's go. Let's see how far we can go. Let's see how far we can push this. And there were definitely days on that set where I was mentally and emotionally, you know, exhausted and 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 wiped. Um, and I really drew from my theater background for that because there are times where you're doing a show eight times a week and you're doing the same scene over and over and you just sort of have to have that muscle and that stamina. And there were scenes like in, in the death scene, you know, at the end of Here a While that we had to do over and over and over to get, you know, everyone's coverage on something like that. And it was really, there were times where when, when you trick your body into breathing a certain way and to really committing to the fact that you're telling these people goodbye and, and you are dying and, you're, and your body is, is giving up on you, like chemically, my body and my brain would start to feel sick and I would feel weak and I would feel um, dizzy. And, and it, was a, it was an odd feeling to have that I I haven't really been able to have that opportunity um, as an actor so much. So it was, it was, it was really strange at times to actually trick your body into feeling like it was dying in order to, when the camera is this close, like you can't lie about something like that. Um, Yeah. And I really am excited for people to see something like I've never done before. I'm, I'm thrilled. I don't know the specifics of how the whole story plays out, but is there anything about the story where, you know, it's a very tough subject matter to tackle, but what what's kind of like the nugget of hope that the movie could offer someone? What's something that, you know, someone else out there can take from watching this movie that, you know, might bring, I don't know, like inspiration or hope to their life? Uh, I really hope that people see this. It's about the Death with Dignity Act. Um and where, where your body is, is failing you, right, when you have um, a terminal illness, terminal cancer, like my character has colon cancer. And there's something really beautiful about given, being given the opportunity to end your life in a graceful, dignified way on your own terms. There's something when you feel like you're out of control and you can't control yourself anymore and you just want to you know, not be in a hospital with tubes and IVs and, and doctors hovering over you, you should have the right 
to go um, wherever, you know, you, whatever religion you believe in, whether you're going somewhere or not, or, you know, an afterlife or not, to be in your own room, uh, be there surrounded by people that you love. Like, that's hope, I think, for people who don't have hope. And I feel like this movie hopefully will open up people's minds to that because it's a very controversial subject anyway. But to see that it, it gives people who don't have hope, hope. And control over something that they no longer do. It's the only thing that they have left. So there is a light, I think, in this movie. And it's it's giving people an opportunity to die gracefully. I um, am very, very eager to see it. And to see what you bring to a role like that. Because uh, I got a feeling you rise to the occasion. That one, I know, is on VOD June 9th. For anyone who really wants to put a pin in that one. So... Ladies' night is coming to a close. And before we say goodbye, we always like to do a couple rapid-fire questions. Just okay. a bunch of random things. Usually, it's just whatever comes to my mind on the spot. Let's go with, do you collect anything? Sundresses. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I just have too many. I need to get rid of them. I'm from the South. I have so many sundresses. I like I to collect something that's useful, though. Like, usually, I just wind up with, like, tchotchkes all over the place. And oh, yeah, them. no. I love sundresses. I just do <laughs> What is the biggest fear that you've overcome? Being naked on stage. Oh, boy. That was huge. That was really huge. I was never one to walk around the gym naked. I was never one to be like, yeah, you know, in high school, like whatever. And so to be able to be on stage eight shows a week, totally naked in front of thousands of people, I think that that was, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably one of the most impressive fears overcome I've heard on this show yet. Yeah, now I'm kind of not scared about anything except for bungee jumping. Okay. Wait, here, here's another thing though. On the flip side of that, what is one thing that you've done for a past role that you're like, all right, did it once, never again. Being naked. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Being naked on stage, my God. I mean, I was so young and fearless. I mean, I was fearful, but then I became kind of fearless. I think that I would have to, like, work up to that again. I would. I would have to get a personal tra- I didn't get, like, a trainer. I mean, I really just was like, whatever, here I am. And now at 37, I think that I would have to really get a trainer and be really, like, I'm, I would be terrified to do that. I- I honestly like cannot even wrap my brain around it. It's, I can't believe I did it. <laughs> what is the most recent show that you've binge watched? Oh, most recent. Oh, Succession. Ooh, good choice. It's so good. Wow. It is so, so, so good. And all of those fantastic New York actors are incredible. And it's so well written. I'm like freaking out for season three. I cannot wait. It's so, so, so good. So for all the Roy children, you are team who? Oh my God. I'm team Kendall right now, to be honest, the way he ended that season. Oh my God. And I was watching it and I didn't realize that it was the season finale episode. And I was like, wow, this episode is so good. It's so riveting. I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the finale. And I was like, no, I have to wait for how long. I'm dying for more of that one. I can't wait. Finally, what is the movie that you quote the most? The movie that I quote the most. Oh, my goodness. I know that there is one. I don't know right now. I don't know what it would be right now. Um, I don't know. I don't or know what, I what's the movie you rewatch the most? I just watched American Beauty for, like, the mm-hmm. sixth time. It's one of my favorite movies. I just, <laughs> like, love that movie more than anything in the world. I think Annette Bening is incredible. So that's definitely one that I rewatch a lot. 
Excellent choice. Just so everybody else out there gets a nice, fresh reminder, Lovebirds, it's on Netflix right now. Go check it out. On top of that, here a while, available on VOD on June 9th. And then lastly, Desperados on Netflix July 3rd. I cheated Third. on that one. Nice job. I had the note here. Great. So, Anna, thank you so much for being here on Ladies Night today. And a big congratulations on all the projects that you got coming out right now. And also all the stuff you've got cooking, because... I mean, the idea of you getting a show off the ground with Michael is also super exciting to me. Oh, thank you. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Hopefully we get good news soon. Yes. Rooting for you guys. Rooting for that. Rooting for Perfect Harmony. Thank you again for being here. And thanks to everybody out there for watching this edition of Collider. Ladies Night, you know the deal. Like and share it before you leave. We're going to have more episodes for you real soon. Napa This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.